If you would turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll, we'll just continue in our, our study there. One year ago today, actually this Sunday, I stood here before you for the first time. Slightly more nervous than I am now, but um, still uh, standing firm in, in the, the calling of God to be here. And I, I actually preached, not on accident, but coincidentally from this same book of First Peter to you. And I, I preached from this book because I wanted to lay down before you all the, the burden that God's word places on me, that the, the spirit of God places on me as your pastor. I, I said to you that, that this burden, this calling is, is for me to be a picture of Christ to you. Not to be a, just a, a manager, not to be a, a businessman or a priest or a, even a, a counselor, but just to be a, a picture of Jesus Christ, our shepherd. Right? The, to, to, to be a picture of a, a shepherd like he was, like he is. Since then, in this last year, though it's been a little bit shaky, I have, I have continued to the best of my ability to, to set before you the teaching of this book. Right? So we, we studied through the letter of First John a year ago, and we, we heard the Spirit of God call us, even before the divisions started coming, that, that we were to love one another, to, to set our hope not in this world but in Jesus Christ, and to remember that he is the Messiah who has come to redeem our relationship with God. After this, at Christmas, we, we looked at Jesus, this Messiah, and we took four weeks, we looked at the prophecies that he fulfilled as, as prophet and priest and king. And then we spent time at the beginning of this year in the first few chapters of Acts, and looking at the early church and the values that they had. We saw that this early church shows us that we are to be people devoted to preaching, to prayer, to partnership with one another, and to proclaiming the gospel. And then after uh, the season of Easter, we walked through the book of Jonah, and we heard the warning to the nation of Israel and to the people of God in every generation about withholding mercy from others. What I have not done is give you five keys for freedom or six steps to beat anxiety or the, the path of the victorious life. I do not preach to you about how to experience growth in the power of the Holy Spirit, except by the word he has written to us. What I have done is, is to follow to, to the best of my ability and the best of my limited knowledge the pattern that, that I see here in the New Testament and Old Testament for preaching. I know I preach in a style that is not normal today, but I hope that I have put before you all in the last year a good example of what is called expositional preaching. Right? Preaching that exposes the truth of God's word. Expositional preaching is preaching that is rooted in the word of God, not just a biblical idea, not just true words, but, but a, a, a sermon that is anchored in the words of our passage. And the, the reason I do this is because I, I believe that the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit, who wrote through men and women in this book, lives in me. Right? And so the, the most Holy Spirit filled thing I can do is to take this word, to open it, to read it, and to explain what it means, and, and, and to teach how it should challenge us to live today. And because the same Holy Spirit who lives in me and who wrote this book lives in all of you as the people of God, 
this truth that we find in this word builds us all together into the image of Christ. So hopefully that this church is put on display for the world to see and know the God who has called us to a salvation we could never work for ourselves. It is all of grace. So thank you for this last year, for being patient as I grow quite a bit, as I stand a little bit um, uncomfortable before you each week, but growing more and more um, as the Spirit of God leads me. So today I just want to continue moving forward. In our sermon series in, in 1 Peter, I want to uh, pick up where we left off. So would you, as we look at this letter today, keep your ears open for what Peter teaches us about this book. Pay careful attention to what the Spirit of God is saying to you as we look to this word that he has read. Part of my job in preaching is to apply this word to all of us, but the Spirit of God will apply this word to you because he is the one who has uh, written this book and he is the one who is in the, in, in the hearts of every Christian who is here now, ready to, to write the truth of this word instead onto our hearts so that we might live a little bit more like Christ. So would you listen to the Spirit of God and submit to his leading today as we come to his word? We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. And the, the sermon today is really about, I think so, it should be on. Um, the the, the sermon today is really about the message of this book. We looked last week at the salvation that, that Jesus has, has worked for us. And, and, and Peter's going to take a second to talk about what has been passed down to us through this book. And the, the, the message of this book has absolutely transformed this world. In Acts, the, the, government, the, the world government said that the message of the cross had turned the world upside down. And it has continued to transform the world one broken sinner at a time. So would you, would you listen this week to what Peter says in verses 10 through 12 about this most important message that we will ever hear? This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. It says this, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent, subsequent glories, the glories that came after the suffering. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that, they were, that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, these things into which angels long to look. So, Father, again, as, as, as we come to your word, would you speak to us by your Holy Spirit? Apply this word to our lives. Lord, we ask that you would press us into the mold of Christ, even, even if that means being pressed into the mold of his sufferings, so that we might look like him when he returns. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Like we said last week, Peter is, Peter is writing to believers in Jesus Christ who are suffering. His readers have heard the gospel preached to them, but now they're starting to feel as if they don't belong in this world anymore. They don't behave the same way that they used to because Jesus has called them to live lives of holy hope in the resurrection. And so when they don't join in with their old friends and the things that they used to do, they are, they are pushed down and made fun of. 
You know, and, and, and as they're pushed to the side of society, some of them might even be losing business because they won't go to the, the pagan temples where business is done. So they're, they're struggling maybe to support their families because of this. This suffering is, is a real and tangible suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. And Peter is writing to them to encourage them. Peter reminds them in this little passage to keep their eyes fixed on the hope of salvation. Not just that they have been saved, but that there comes a, a future salvation to us. Right? When, when Jesus returns, they will share in eternal life, Peter says, as children of God. We saw last week that Peter begins this letter, the whole first nine verses, by describing their salvation to them. A salvation that brings hope and joy to their lives. But in verse 10, he, he reminds them that their salvation didn't just come out of nowhere. Peter and, and the other disciples of Jesus, and Jesus himself, they were Jews. They are the descendants of Abraham and part of God's chosen people, Israel. Jesus didn't show up one day out of the blue and just die for us. right? Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. He is the anointed one, the Christ, who fulfills the whole Old Testament. All of the prophecies and the expectations that are in the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Peter wants to remind his readers that they stand in a long line of people who have put their hope in the Messiah. The prophets of the Old Testament wrote about this salvation, even the salvation that we have today. They, they wrote about the Messiah who would come to suffer for his people and then the glory that would be revealed in his resurrection and in his second coming. So I want to take time today to do what Peter does, to show how he understands the Old Testament and the gospel before getting practical and showing how this should shape our lives even today. So would you look with me at verses 10 and 11? I'll, I'll read them again to remind us what he said. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was coming to you searched and carefully inquired, asking who or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to come after these things. So according to Peter, the prophets knew, these Old Testament prophets knew about the salvation that we would receive. The prophets also knew about the Savior who was coming to save us. And the prophets knew the pattern of this Savior's life, the, the pattern from suffering to glory. The Old Testament prophets knew about this grace we, we even us, would receive through the work of the Messiah. And this, this grace that Peter mentions, this word grace, is the, the gift of salvation through Jesus, the Messiah. The, the Holy Spirit, through these prophets, was pointing to a later salvation that we now receive. The, the prophets in the Old Testament had been waiting for this salvation since the beginning of the world, and so they, they were searching their own writings, Peter says, looking to, to figure out who the Spirit was pointing to or, or what time the Spirit was indicating when he was prophesying through them, looking for any hints to see what kind of, um, what kind of person or when the Messiah would come. I know probably not most of you, but... but some people say that it's, it's impossible for the Old Testament prophets to have expected Jesus of Nazareth, right? Or, or the teachings of the New Testament. This, they're just too incompatible. But, but here, Peter says that these prophets knew that salvation would come. Isn't this, isn't this true throughout the whole Old Testament? I mean, you can even go back to the, some of the very first stories, the story of, of Adam and Eve and the serpent in the garden, 
right? After, after sin breaks into this world and it's clear that, that mankind has been um, scarred and needs healing, after Adam and Eve sin, God tells them the consequences of their sin. But even, even in these consequences, God gives a little, a little hint of hope, right? In Genesis 3.15, God is cursing the serpent, right? Satan that, that deceived Adam and Eve. And he, he says this to him. He says, I will make you and the woman enemies. Her offspring and your offspring will be enemies. But one of them will bruise your head and will, will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. One of your offspring will bruise his heel. Do you hear the first notes of the gospel in there? Right? Someone will cr- come to crush the head of the serpent. Someone will come to deal with evil once and for all. And the, the whole rest of the book of Genesis traces this, this line of the, the offspring of Eve. Right? Who's, whose child is, is this offspring going to be? Is it Cain or Abel? Well, it's not either because Cain kills Abel, so Cain's a bad guy and Abel's dead. But then Seth comes, and, and then it says, and then people started to call on the name of the Lord. They were calling on the Lord to work the salvation that he had promised through this son, Seth. But then when Seth died, people kept looking and looking for whose, whose child would be the one to crush the head of the serpent. Was it, would it be Abraham or his brothers? Would it be Isaac or Ishmael? Or would it be Jacob or Esau's son? Which one of the 12 brothers would be the one to, to give birth to this um, serpent crusher? And the whole history of the Old Testament points towards this final victory. And, and Peter says that all the prophets who wrote were expecting this. And so they searched their own writings to find out who it was, when he would come. But it gets even better than this because the prophets knew more than just that salvation would come. They knew the kind of person who would be coming. Peter says they looked for who he would be. Right? So, so who exactly would this Savior be? Like, like I just mentioned, the book of Genesis traces this identity for us. He's the, the son of Eve and then the son of Seth and Noah and Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, and then Judah. And then in, in 2 Kings, and from the tribe of Judah, we find out that God promises David a seed, just like he promised, or, or an offspring, just like he promised Eve an offspring, someone to, to sit on his throne and rule forever, right? And so they, they, the whole Old Testament is narrowing down as we figure out who this Messiah, this anointed one, will be. The Savior is not just an Israelite not just from the tribe of Judah, but also a son of David. It gets narrower and narrower and narrower as, we, as, as our expectation kind of grows throughout the whole Old Testament. And there are plenty of other prophecies, too. This is just one small thing that I've, I think I've traced for you before. But do you remember when Jesus was born? You know, here's another one of those prophecies. And the, the king at the time is worried that this Messiah is going to take over his kingdom. So he, he, he goes to the, the leaders of the religious day, the, the scribes who know the Old Testament, and he asks them where the Messiah will be born. And they're able to tell him he'll be born in Bethlehem, in the city of David, which Jesus was. This is just another one of those prophecies. We could go through the whole beginning of the book of Matthew and see that Matthew is just showing over and over and over again there are prophecies that Jesus fulfills. The prophets knew about not just our salvation, they knew about our Savior. But I think most importantly, Peter points out something else. The prophets knew more than just our salvation, they knew more than just 
whose son Jesus would be, the prophets knew the road that Jesus had to walk. They pointed out a thousand years before Jesus walked on earth that he would have to suffer and die in our place as a sacrifice. And they knew that only after suffering would the Messiah be glorified. This is what the Holy Spirit was pointing to in these men and women who wrote the Old Testament. He says that the spirit of Christ in the prophets predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would come after these things, his resurrection and his second coming. The Savior had to suffer. And this is why so many Jews in his day and even now reject Jesus because they are expecting a Messiah to come and to redeem the nation of Israel. But Jesus came suffering. Jesus came as a carpenter. Even Jesus' own followers, these 12 disciples who did not really get it, they weren't all that bright, kind of like me paying attention in school. Even Jesus' own followers didn't understand that he came to die. He told them over and over again that the Messiah had to suffer at the hands of the religious leaders and to die, and they didn't get it. Only, only Mary this wonderful woman who, who breaks her, her um, flask of perfume so that she can't keep any of it back. She breaks it on Jesus' feet to anoint him for his death and burial. She's the only one who seems to get it. She's the only one who seems to get that the Messiah had come to be murdered. That, that before he could bring salvation, the Savior had to suffer, just as the prophets predicted. Even after Jesus died, his disciples were kind of slow. Do you remember the story when, when, when Jesus was raised from the dead on, on Easter Sunday when he met with two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus? They were sad because they, they thought that everything Jesus had planned to do, this big victory that he had worked for the people of Israel, the, the, the one that they had um, praised as king as he came into the city, he had died. And so they were, they were sad, so they were leaving Jerusalem because there was no hope for them there anymore. And Jesus, as he's walking with them, and he hears this stuff, he says to them, you fools, so slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary, according to the prophets, that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Just a, a few verses later in this same chapter, Luke 24, Jesus says that, the Old Testament teaches that the Messiah should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that only then repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Jesus did not come out of the blue to do his own thing. He came at the perfect time. Paul says in the fullness of time. He, he came to carry out the plan of God the Father for salvation, a plan he had revealed to and through his prophets in the Old Testament. So Peter wants to remind his readers they are not alone. They are not the first to put their hope in the Messiah and to suffer. You can turn to Hebrews and chapter 11. There's a list of people who put their faith in the Christ and who bled and died because they hoped in him. Peter wants to remind his readers, he wants to remind us that we are not alone. They are connected to this story that God has been writing since the beginning of history been writing in his word for thousands of years. And we are too. We are waiting for his return, his second coming, the same way that Peter's readers were. Even the same way the prophets waited for his first coming. 
And so the, the salvation the prophets wrote about is the salvation we have today. They also foresaw the salvation that is coming to us. And then all of the teaching of the New Testament connects us back to the Old Testament. So be very careful of anyone who says that you don't need the Old Testament and that, or that the Old Testament is irrelevant today. Because Jesus used the Old Testament. His apostles used the Old Testament. When, when Paul told Timothy that all of Scripture is useful, he was talking about the Old Testament. Those were Timothy's Scriptures. All of Scripture points us to Jesus. All of Scripture is useful for us. If we do not find the Old Testament helpful, that is because of our weakness, not anything in the Bible that the Holy Spirit breathed out for the people of God has as our weakness. Right? The, the oak tree might not look like the acorn, but that doesn't mean that the tree hasn't sprouted from a seed. Right? Like, like the old saying goes, in the, in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. And in the New Testament, the old is revealed. Right? Peter, Peter says it slightly differently here. He says, in the Old Testament times, Christ was predicted. That's what we've just talked about. But now he is proclaimed. This is what he says in verse 12, that when the prophets searched their prophecies to find out who would bring this salvation and when it would come, he says this, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. Serving you in the things that have now been announced or proclaimed to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. So this is what Peter is saying. He's saying what the prophets predicted, the apostles proclaimed. The, these apostles of Jesus, these 12 uh, 12 special men who were given the job of starting the church. They taught about Jesus as the Messiah. They showed that he fulfilled the scriptures of the Old Testament. If we summarize their teaching like the, the Apostle Paul does, the very last of these 12, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, I, I delivered to you what I also received, that the Messiah died for our sins according to the, uh, according to the scripture that he was buried and has been raised on the third day according to the scripture. In Romans, this same man, the Apostle Paul, says that the good news, the gospel of God, was promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. These prophets who prophesied about his son, who was the son of David in the flesh. All throughout the New Testament, we are pointed back to the Old because it is from the Old Testament that our salvation has come. Paul says that the Old Testament is able to make us wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. They are important pieces of Scripture. Right? The, the apostles taught a Jewish Messiah from the Jewish Scripture. So what the apostles predicted, right, that from the Jewish nation would come the Savior of, a war, of the world, what the, apostle, or the, what the prophets predicted, the apostles proclaimed. This is what Peter is saying to us, that, that these things have now been announced to you. They were, they were predicted before, but now they've been announced to you, God's people. Jesus has come and fulfilled these prophecies that were written hundreds of years before he was born. He has come and lived a righteous life and died a sinner's death. And, and Jesus was raised from the dead just as the Old Testament predicted. The curse of sin has been broken. We, when we are made one with Jesus Christ, we are given all of his righteousness because he lived a righteous life, and he takes all of our guilt because we never could live a righteous life. The serpent's head has been crushed. 
The, the serpent might have bruised the heel of the Messiah, but the Messiah has been raised again from the dead. Hallelujah. Thank you. The, everything that the prophets has, has foretold has come true in Jesus Christ. This salvation that God has been planning throughout human history has all come together in Jesus Christ. He is the only one worthy to open the scroll because he is the one who has fulfilled all of these things. The salvation has come to Peter's readers and he's reminding them where they come from. And this salvation has come to us. And so what does this mean for us? Why is this important? Peter is preparing his readers, and so he is preparing us to be taught from the Old Testament. Right? Even just in this book, in the next few chapters, Peter will use a lot of the Old Testament. He's, he's preparing us to, to hear from the book of Leviticus, from the book of Psalms, from the book of Isaiah. And he will, he will remind us that this Old Testament doesn't just disappear now that we have Jesus. That we can go away with the Holy Spirit on a mountain alone and never use the Word of God to train us in righteousness. Peter says that all of this, all of the salvation that we have in Jesus has come from the Old Testament and spoken by the Spirit of God. So those of us who have the Spirit of God should listen to His voice and His Word. But I think more than this, Peter wants us to see the purpose and the power of proclaiming the gospel. Right? Because as Christians, we have something even better than any of the Old Testament prophets had. Because we now have the fullness of the message. We have the end of the story. Our message is not salvation will come one day. Our message is that salvation is here. Our message is not that God will make a way for us when the time is right. Our, our message is that Jesus has come and has made a way for us back to the Father by his own blood on the cross. And more than this, Jesus has, has, when, when Jesus came, he brought even more good news. Right? When, when he left, he said he would send the Spirit of God to come dwell in our hearts. And this Spirit of God is the greatest gift we could ever receive. The Spirit, the Romans says, is in our hearts, and it's by this Spirit we cry, Abba, which means Father. Just as a, as a little note, I have a five-month-old son, and he doesn't really say much. But if you think about this word, Abba, it's probably one of the easiest things you could ever say. And it means father. It's, it's the, the kind of thing that a, a young child would say to their father. This is what we are given. We are given the most intimate and, and beautiful of relationships with the God who created heaven and earth. We have this spirit of God. And we have the Spirit of God in a different way than any of the Old Testament prophets did. When, when they prophesied, you can read throughout the Old Testament, the Spirit would come on them and they would prophesy and then the Spirit would leave. Some men had, had amazing ministries. People like Isaiah and Jeremiah, they, they had the Spirit of God with them for a long time. But if, if you look through the Old Testament, the pattern is that the Spirit would come and would leave on people. But we in Christ have the Spirit living in us forever. The word is remaining or abiding. Like a, a branch is attached to a tree, that is, that is how the, the Spirit has been placed in us. It is an organic, real relationship that we have with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God fills us just like the cloud of glory filled the Old Testament temple. And as God's new people, we are a temple, individually and collectively, but not a temple made by human hands. We're a temple made by God himself. 
And it just keeps building. And this is where it gets almost too wonderful to believe. The Spirit in us with this message, this message that was given long ago through many different prophets and in many different pieces, we now have in fullness, right? Each and every believer who is filled with the Holy Spirit of God has been given the task to proclaim this message. And at its most basic, it is Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. This is wonderful because when when Peter says these things have been proclaimed by the Spirit, he's saying that that the Spirit of God speaks through the people of God. He says it's come through the preaching of the gospel, but these things are announced by the Spirit. This is why it's it's an unbelievable privilege to be before you every week because this is my task as, as a pastor, as someone who preaches the word of God to you. Right? It, is, it is humbling and it is honoring. It's perhaps the most important thing I will ever do with my life to, to so prepare my heart and my words so that what I speak are not my words but God's words on Sunday morning to you. To be, to be someone who speaks the word of God even though these words are in the mouth of a, a fallen and sinful man. How can any of us shrink back from a calling like this? The Holy Spirit has been sent into our hearts to dwell, to live, to abide with us, and we have been given this message in the gospel. And here Peter says that when we proclaim what is written in Scripture, the Holy Spirit speaks through us. I wonder how many souls are there now in Snell's Beach alone who are hurting and need the gospel to make them whole. How many souls are are lonely and who need the gospel to be reunited in a loving relationship with their creator? How many souls do we pass each and every day who need the teaching of this word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God as, as we proclaim what the Bible teaches about life and death and friendship and family? How every single one of us has been offered free water at the well of life. Church, we must be in this book. In this book, we will be confronted ourselves by the Spirit of God, purified and strengthened and resurrected to new life with a new purpose. We have a message that is so simple that anyone can share it, but it is, it is so beautiful that it has been studied for thousands of years, and we still discover new facets of this beautiful gem of the gospel. New things, new, new pieces of God's design and purpose for us in Christ. Will you hold back from speaking? You may not be an evangelist, but you can be a friend to someone in need. You might not be a preacher, but you are mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and neighbors. Isn't it obvious that our world needs this good news? There's brokenness all around us. There is hopelessness all around us. Emptiness in our young people that that we could never dream of. Things I wouldn't have thought of even in high school as I was faced with things. But if you have been filled with the Holy Spirit by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, this message is yours. This privilege that I have here to, to speak to you is yours to speak to the whole world. To speak for God to be used by the Spirit of God in speaking His truth according to His Word. Not all of us are gifted for the same purpose, 
but we have all been given this message. Only some will be called as preachers, but each and every one of us has a story of the Spirit of God working in our lives and raising us to new life. Jesus has come as our Messiah. He fulfilled the expectation of a thousand years of prophecy that that he would make a way for God's broken creation to be renewed and restored in relationship with him. He has come to make a way for this relationship with our creator to be restored because we have broken it and we break it each day by setting ourselves up as our own source of truth when there is only one who is faithful and true. Jesus Jesus Christ has come. He has died in our place and he has given his righteousness to us who have faith in him. He has been raised again by the power of God from the dead and so we no longer fear death. We have hope in this life. In Jesus Christ, we are made children of God and so we wait for an inheritance that is coming greater than anything we can imagine. This world can crumble to dust but our hope will remain steadfast. Because our God has spoken through his prophets. He has spoken through his apostles, through the evangelists in the New Testament. He has spoken through his people throughout history. And he has given us the last word through his son. He will will remain faithful to this. This is our story. Hallelujah. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Hallelujah. Christ is here. And so, Father, because of this, because of your word, this word of our salvation, we praise you. Lord, we lift your name high above all names. It is your name alone that is worthy to be praised for the work you have done in Christ Jesus. Would you use us as vessels for your glory? Send us out, Lord, into the harvest. Put your word in our mouth. Let it be as honey to our lips, and light to those who hear it. Give us boldness to proclaim your truth to friends or family, to strangers or neighbors. You know, God, the the works that you have prepared for us. Would you make us obedient to the call of the kingdom? Let us work as soldiers of Christ, pushing back the darkness of the evil one. Strengthen us this day and every day for the battles ahead. Would you fill us with love and compassion for our neighbors? Give us grace. Fill us with peace. And send us out as your people to shine like stars in the middle of this dark and darkening world. I pray this in Jesus' name.